Okay, great to be here with you. If you're, this is your first time here, I'm Pastor Jacob. I would love to meet you after service today. Take your Bible and go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we're starting a new series of sermons today called He Is. The series starts in verse 15, it's probably going through verse 23. Today's title is The Image of God. Well, thank you so much for your support for the Carr family this past week. There were like 4 million people at the funeral, it seemed like, on Monday. But thank you so much for your support for them and for your continued prayers for them. Hello, all my friends in the balcony. How are you doing? That great, huh? (laughs) Glad you guys are here today, too. Okay, so will you stand with me, please, in honor of God's word as I read it? Just one part of verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the great and glorious sovereign over the universe. You have sent your son for us who has always existed into earth, onto earth, into time. You have given him a body, and you have entered him into this place and caused him and and helped him and called him to live in our place and to die in our place, and you have raised him again from the dead. Father, we need your help today. I need your help as I preach this message, and your saints need your help as we hear it. We need your energy and your focus. We need your joy. And we need to remember that you are with us, that you love us, and that you are speaking to us by your word and your spirit. Father, I do not want to preach by my flesh and my own strength. I want to preach by the spirit's power and his help. So I ask for your help today. And I pray, Lord, that every single person in this room would call out to you right now as I'm leading them in prayer for your help in their life, that you would speak to their hearts specifically, to their family, to their situation, that you, Lord, would be crystal clear in how you communicate your word to them by your spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified in these things today that you would be exalted and magnified above every single thing, above me, above us in this room, above our church, above our community, above our state, our country, and the entire world, and things in heaven and below the earth, that you would be glorified above all things, because you are the king of the universe, and there is no one like you. Lord Jesus, lift up our eyes to your real identity, to see you for who you really are in all your power and your glory. Because, Lord, our view of you is too small. Our view of you, Jesus, is lower than it should be. We need our hearts and our minds corrected today to be guided into your truth, to see you for who you really are, Lord Jesus. We know that when you, you said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. 
So, Lord, I know that you're referring to your death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. You are drawing all the people that the Father has entrusted to you to yourself, and you will save them. And I thank you for that. But I also pray, Lord, as that we exalt you in this room today, as we lift you up in this sermon, that you would draw people to yourself to help them see you for who you really are. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said with me, amen, amen. Amen, friends. Please be seated. Well, I'd like to introduce you to a man today by the name of Alvaro Tice. Here's a picture of Mr. Tice. He's a man from Brazil, and he believes that he is Jesus Christ. He is 75 years old, and he has believed that he is Jesus Christ for a long time. Actually, he believes that he's a reincarnation of Jesus Christ. He looks rather creepy, I think. What do you think? I think so. Anyway, it, he is uh, claiming that he's Jesus, and he has these followers that follow him around, and he's evidently pretty well respected in the country of Brazil. I just want to say the obvious here as I start this sermon. It matters who Jesus is. It matters who Jesus is. Raise your hand if you would say, you know, I absolutely agree with that. It matters who Jesus is. Absolutely. It matters who Jesus is. Even if you're here today and you don't even necessarily believe in Jesus, you can still acknowledge that it matters who Jesus is. Once when Jesus was on the earth, the Bible says in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 15, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and Others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's a question I want you to consider today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you believe him to be? Now, he is something. He is something, and it doesn't change. He's, he's objectively who he is, and your perspective of him doesn't change that. But who do you say he is in your life? Who is he to you? That is an important question. I want you to consider that throughout the message today. So some things about how people have thought about Jesus throughout the, throughout the ages, some false views or heresies about him. One view is called adoptionism. Adoptionism. Adoptionism is a belief that God the Father saw the uh, good works of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, and adopted him as his son and gave him miraculous powers because of Jesus' faithfulness. They don't believe that Jesus is God. He sort of was adopted by God the Father. Another heretical view is called docetism from the second century, also from the second century, which taught that Jesus only seemed to have a physical body. He didn't really have a physical body, according to docetism. He just seemed like it. So God, but just seemed like he was physical, not really man. This is a wrong view, by the way. The third heretical view about this topic is called Arianism. Arianism. This is not Arians as, as, as an Adolf Hitler. That's a different kind of heresy. Anyway, so this is Arianism by a man named Arius who believed that Jesus, Jesus was fully human but not quite God. They believed that Jesus was created by God. Jesus was formed by God as his first creation. This is another heresy. 
Fast forward to today, and there's a survey out that you can find online called thestateoftheology.com, at thestateoftheology.com, by a ministry called Ligonier Ministries. And Ligonier Ministries surveys Americans, I think they surveyed about 3,000 Americans in 2022, and they do it every year, I believe, and they give... They make these statements, these theological statements, and then they ask people to respond about how much they agree or disagree with these statements. So this is just all Americans here responding to this. And here's the statement about Jesus. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. This is surveying all Americans, and 53% of those responders agreed with that statement, that Jesus is a great teacher, but not God. So I ask you the question again, friends. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? In each of the sermons in this series, Lord willing, we're going to look in depth at one phrase that tells us who Jesus is. And we're going to go phrase by phrase throughout this book in Colossians through verse 23. Now in this sermon today, I have one main point. And the one main point is this. Jesus is God made visible. Jesus is God made visible. That's what God's word says for us here in Colossians 1 at the first part of verse 15. If you're taking notes, we ran out of sermon notebooks again. Praise God for that. Fourth time that we're going to have to reorder those jokers. I am so thankful for that. Lord willing, there will be some more next week. And if not, I said Lord willing, so that gives me an out, okay? There are three parts of this sermon, three sections of this sermon. So if you're taking notes, follow along closely. There's three sections. In the first section, I'm going to talk about what this means, that Jesus is the image of God. In the second section, I'm going to give three clarifications about that. And then in the third section, I'll explain why this matters, Are you ready for section one? If you are ready, say, let's go. Let's go. Section one, what this means. Look at verse 15 again. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Well, how do you know that's talking about Jesus, Pastor Jacob? Because of the context. Look back at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, that's obviously the father who has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Are you following me here? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, notice who it's referring to. He is the image of the invisible God. Who? The son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Recently, my wife bought a full-length mirror for our bedroom so she can admire my physique 24-7. That is not true. So as you walk in front of this full-length mirror, if you were to walk in front of this full-length mirror, what would you see in the mirror? It's not a trick question. Your own reflection. You would see yourself. Are you actually in the mirror? No. You're not in the mirror. You're standing in front of the mirror, and it's your reflection that you're seeing in the mirror. Are you following me here? This is not super complicated, I don't think. Anyways, so uh, that's what some people might say that this verse is saying, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God in that he reflects God, but that he's not God himself. 
That is not what this verse means when it says he's the image of the invisible God. In his commentary on Colossians, Richard Mellick wrote, In the Greek world, the word image conveyed one of two nuances of meaning. Of course, this was written in Greek. That's back when Jesus was living, or he is still living, amen, back when he was living his first life, I guess you might say. Both elements were always present in this nuance of meaning, but one intended to dominate the other. The first is that of representation. The image represented and symbolized what the object pictured. This usage occurred often in the context of an image on a coin or reflection in a mirror. So you might say that if Paul is saying that Jesus is the image of God in this way, then he represents God in the same way that a quarter reflects or represents the first president of the United States, George Washington. Are you following me? But that's not all that Jesus is. And it's not all that Jesus does. He doesn't just picture God to give us an idea of what God is like. There's a second way that this word image was used in the Greek culture. And Richard Mellick continues now as I continue to quote him. The Greek word, sorry, the second element of meaning in the word image was manifestation. When the term was employed, it meant that the symbol was more than a symbol. The symbol brought with it the actual presence of the object. He manifested God. That is more like it. Jesus Christ is not just a picture of God. He is God himself. Jesus Christ is God. Friends, do you realize this about who Jesus claimed to be? He is God in the flesh. Now, other references. Look at, look at some other passages of Scripture that say something really similar. Hebrews 1.3. Look at what it says. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. The exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus is. There's no difference between the nature of God and the nature of Christ. He is God in flesh. Jesus is just as much God as the Father is God. And he's not somehow a little bit lower than God, as some of you might have thought or even think in this moment. He is God himself. Look at first, look at not first John, John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Is this making your head hurt? Are you okay? Are you okay? I can't quite read you. Are you doing okay? Lindsay said in the first service, she didn't say it. She said it in the pew. She was smiling at me, which means you need to smile more, Jacob. Um, And she was doing that because I'm just so serious. But, like, I think part of what's on my heart is tonight I'm, like, already ready for the concert of prayer. And I really hope you'll come to that. Um, But I'm not upset at you. I'm very just focused on this. It's really important for you to get this, okay? Let's think clearly about verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. There's two people there, isn't there? You got the Father, but the only God is at the Father's side. Jesus is God. You see? Jesus made the Father known. That's who he is. He makes, he reveals the Father himself. He reveals God himself. 
Some of you have a poor view of God. You think God the Father is like the big God. And then Jesus is like the not as big God. And then the Spirit is like the not as big as Jesus God. That is an unbiblical view, friends. And this is very important for you to get. Because some of you look to all kinds of things in your life to give your life meaning and purpose and value instead of Jesus Christ. So many of you do that, and I'm tempted to do that too. You say, oh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. But really, if I want to grow in my life, then I need to add all these kinds of rules. I don't need to know Jesus better, I just need a lot of rules. You say, oh, well, I, I need more contentment in my life. And so, yeah, I'm saved, but really what I need for contentment, I need, I need some good self-help books, you know. I need to know more of God's will for my life, and so, yeah, I'm saved. I've placed my faith in Jesus for salvation, but you know what? Astronomy is pretty interesting to me, you know. I wonder about those little rocks that people wear around their necks to keep the evil spirits away. You don't know who Christ is, friends. You don't know who Jesus is. You've got a little Jesus in your little box. He is God, friends. He is God. What does it say in John 14, 7 through 9? He's talking to some of his disciples about this. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. To know Christ is to know the Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. You recognize what Jesus is claiming here when he told his disciples this? To see me is to see the Father, he says. Don't you recognize who I am? uh, Philip's a little confused, as we often are. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Now, he's partly right about that. In recognizing that his satisfaction or fulfillment will come in knowing the Father. I think he's right about that. Did you know that you'll never be content in your life until you know God personally? Did you know that, friends? Wake up. Did you know that, friends? Yes? But how do you know him? Look at what Jesus said to him. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you recognize who Jesus is? How can you say, show us the Father? Dear friends, if you view Jesus, if you think, you know what? Jesus is great. He's wonderful. But I really wish I could see God. To think that there's something beyond Jesus that is really going to give you what you need. Then that reveals you don't really know who Christ is. Because Christ is God. This is what he's claiming here. Okay, now. Maybe, I think, maybe, I'm like, my passion for you is like scaring you a bit. So, all is well. Let's go to section two now, okay? Section two, three clarifications. Or maybe you're just under conviction and I just need to let the Spirit do what he's wanting to do, huh? Three clarifications. First, Jesus reveals God's nature, not his physical features. In case you're not tracking with me here, he reveals God's nature, but not his physical features. Now, what color was, is, Jesus still has a body, what color is Jesus' skin? He's probably brown, olive kind of tone, right? He's a Jewish man, 
back in, the, in that day, Middle East, probably not super tall, average height, maybe 5'6", five, 5'8", five, that kind of thing. Is Jesus revealing God's image mean that God has brown skin? No, no, that's not what it's saying here. It's, it's not talking about physical characteristics. It's talking about God's nature. You're tracking with me, right? So look at what, um, not, not look at, listen to what John Calvin said about this. He said, in Christ, the Father shows us his righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power, in short, his entire self. Theologian F.F. F. Bruce said, to say that Christ is the image of God is to say that in him, the nature and being of God have been perfectly revealed. That in him the invisible has become visible. So it's not that God has a cleft chin it's, or that God is ripped. No, because he was a carpenter. It's that God's nature and character is revealed in Christ. Now, some of you might have had this view or thought this or heard somebody say this before. You say, you know what? I like the God of the New Testament because the God of the New Testament is the one that heals people. He feeds people. He casts out demons. He's really concerned about the poor, the marginalized, those kinds of things. And Jesus absolutely is. But I don't really like the God of the Old Testament, you know, because, my goodness, he's, he's killing people. And he's just wiping out nations and things like that. And he has all these rules and whatnot. So I really just like this God. I don't like this God and how God reveals himself. But have you read Revelation, you know? Revelation, where Jesus is the one who's destroying his enemies when he returns, you know, where he's wiping out people. There's one verse symbolic, of course. I think most of Revelation is symbolic. We can talk about that another time. Anyway, so there's this one verse where Jesus is riding a horse symbolically and the blood of his enemies is up to the saddle. Like, do you recognize that that's Jesus and do you recognize the mercy that the Father has on sinners in the Old Testament at the same time? Christ, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Second clarification, Jesus is still fully man. Jesus is still fully man. How is it, Pastor Jacob, that Jesus is God and man at the same time? I don't know. I don't know how he's God and man at the same time. Is Jesus 50% man and 50% God? You know, he's got like 50% of Mary's DNA and 50% some other kind of chromosomes. You know, like, no. He's all God and he is all man at the same time. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. How can I believe that if it doesn't make sense? Friends, there are so many things about the world that you believe, even though they don't make sense to you, you just don't recognize them. And then there's other things about the Bible that don't make sense to us as well, like how the Bible is completely written by people and completely written by God at the same time, how the Bible is, talks about how God, your salvation is entirely an, an act of God, where he plucks you out of the world and saves you, and you're entirely responsible at the same time for your actions. How are those things true? Well, because God says they're true, and we receive them by faith. Christ, all God, all man. Now let's go to the third clarification before I talk about the implications. Jesus is not the Father. He is all God, completely God, and just as much God as the Father, but he is not the Father at the same time. You think, well, maybe God just, 
God transformed himself into the son. And then he stopped being the father when he became the son. Okay, I'm almost done with the theology part, right? Okay, but this is very important. No. Remember when Jesus was baptized? He came up out of the water. And then what happened? A voice from heaven, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I will please. And the spirit descended on him like a dove. All three, all God, all at the same time. And that is who God is. And that is who Jesus is. Well, I would love to talk to you more about that after the service, but now I need to go to four implications. Four implications. Section three, four implications. Number one, God wants to be known. Can you hear me in the balcony? God wants to be known. He doesn't want to be hidden from you or invisible. What does it say in Psalm 19, 1? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. What can be known about God is clearly evident in the things that are made, it says in Romans chapter 1. God wants to be known. Raise your hand if you hate going to parties with a lot of people. Okay, thank you very much, my fellow introverts. We should all text each other about we hate those things and not have a party about how we love those, you know. Some of you people are like, what is wrong with you weirdos, you know? You love going to parties. Well, when an introvert goes to a party, if you can convince them, um, they go and they just kind of creep along the back wall a little bit, you know? You know how in the olden days when somebody would come to a party, they would like announce them at the door? That's like a huge fear for introverts. I am so glad we don't do that anymore, aren't you? My goodness, it gives me anxiety thinking about it. Good night. So introverts are coming to a party, and they're just kind of creeping along the back. They'll talk to as few people as possible, and just they'll say as, as, as little as is necessary in order to be socially acceptable, and then they'll go home and crash. You know, that's, you know, an exaggeration, but that's kind of what an introvert is like. Obviously, they don't want to be known. If God were to come to a party, he would not come that way. He'd come in and say, hey, everybody, here I am. That would be weird if you did that. But you get what I'm going at, right? God wants to be known. He longs for people to know him. He's not hiding himself. He's revealed himself in nature. He's revealed himself in the Bible. He reveals himself mostly in his own son. My goodness, If you want to be known, what better way than to send your own son who is God to become one of the people that you want to know? And that's what Christ did. Well, let's move on here. Number two, implication number two. Jesus is how to know God. Jesus is how to know God. It only makes sense, doesn't it? If Jesus is God made visible, and he is, then the way to know God is to know Jesus. The way to know God is to know Jesus, because Jesus is God made visible. Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. He claims exclusive 
rights and exclusivity in the way to know God. I am the way, the truth, the life, not a way, not a truth, not a life. I am the way and the life. Nobody comes but by me. It says in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his, say this word with me, son. That is how he's spoken to us. I mentioned a survey earlier by Ligonier Ministries called the State of Theology, released in 2022. And one of the statements was this. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And 67% of Americans said they agree with that statement. I want to just let that sink in for a minute. That God accepts the worship of all religions, of all religions. 67% of Americans said that, that they believe that. More shockingly, 56% of American evangelicals agreed with that statement. Like, that's you and me. That's like conservative churches, Bible churches, said they agree that God accepts the worship of all religions. Does this reveal a fun, fundamental misunderstanding about who Jesus is? If Jesus really is God in the flesh, then it only follows that there's only one way to know God. It's through Jesus Christ. Somebody say, Amen. It's through Him only. There's no other way. He claims it. Otherwise, you should... Let me move on. Have you ever seen, ever heard this illustration of uh, God being on the top of a mountain before? And all the religions of the world are like different paths up to the same mountain. Have you ever heard that before? So if you haven't heard it, it's this saying or theory that God is like at the top of a mountain. And what you do is you just take your own path to get to the top of the mountain. And it's really, your path is really no better than my path, and my path is really no better than yours, just as long as you get to the top of the mountain, you know? So Islam starts at the south, and Christianity starts at the north, and Hinduism starts at the east, of course, and, you know, and some other religions are start at the west, whatever. But as long as you just get to the top, it's really all the same thing. That seems wise until you consider that Christianity teaches that you actually can't make it to the top of the mountain. You know? You can't make it to the top of the mountain. There's never good enough that you can never be good enough to get to the top. You would fail every time. Actually, God came and dwelt on the top of a mountain at one time in the Old Testament when God gave his Ten Commandments to Moses. The mountain was called Mount Sinai. And when God dwelt there on the top of that mountain, it says that it was filled with smoke and it was a terrible sight. In fact, God's people, Israel, were so scared that they didn't even want to get close to touching the mountain, much less climbing on it to go to the top. They didn't want anything to do with it. They were like, Moses, you give it your best shot, and you represent us because we, don't even, we have no shot of being in God's presence and living. You see, friends, this is quite a silly statement. But here is something that is so amazing, so amazing when we consider it. The good news of Christianity is not just that we can't get to the top and we wouldn't want to touch the mountain. The good news 
is that God actually came down the mountain. God actually came down the mountain and welcomes us to trust in him and let him carry us back up. That's the good news of Christianity, friends, that no other religion in the world is going to teach you. Christ is the way to know God. Third implication. Jesus is how to worship God. Jesus is how to worship God. Look at Exodus 20, verse 4. God said, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. One time, God's people tried to make this image. It was right after the Ten Commandments, actually. When Moses was on the mountain, Aaron was down with the people. Do you remember this story? And they had been delivered from the Egyptians, and they were super excited about that, because who wouldn't be excited about Charlton Heston being in a movie? Anyway, they were very excited about that. And so what they said is that we want to make an image so that we can worship God. Now, the thing that people get confused about is that they weren't making that image to replace God. They were making it to represent God. And so they got all their gold together, and Aaron, who's kind of a wuss, gets all their gold together and melts it down and makes this, you know what he made? A golden calf, right? And they bow down to it, and they say, you delivered us from the hands of the Egyptians, or something like that. And God's response is, he's obviously angry. He's upset about this because it's not that God didn't do it, but that they've limited God by trying to to picture what they think he might look like. Are you following that? Because God is beyond our understanding of, of understanding his character and nature. Like We just can't get a good picture about who he really is. He's so much bigger and so much other than us. So that if you try to draw a picture of God, you would therefore be limiting him. You might say, oh, God is powerful, and so I'm going to draw a picture of a mountain. I'm going to paint something that's beautiful and big and wonderful, like this beautiful mountain that you saw in that picture earlier. But yeah, God is powerful, but he's not just powerful. You've limited his mercy. You've limited his kindness. And actually, he's way more powerful than a big mountain. Like, you see what I'm saying here? So that's why God says, don't make any image at all of my likeness. Because you'd be limiting who I am in your hearts and in your minds. And then along comes Jesus. And God says, I know that you can't worship me. You need something to to realize who I am. But I told you not to make an image. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my own son in my very image to you. So that the image of God, the the full representation or God himself comes down so that we can worship God the way that he wants us to. I'm so thankful for that. The fourth implication. The fourth implication. Jesus restores God's image. Jesus restores God's image. Dear friends, did you know that you did not evolve out of primordial slime? 
Did you know that you were designed by your creator? Did you know that your fingerprint is unlike every other person's fingerprint that has ever existed? Did you know that God has intricately woven you together to be the person he's designed you to be in your mother's womb? And that he has made you very different than an animal, actually giving you characteristics of God himself, unique and special and beloved. But the image of God in you is marred. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Both men and women are both made in the image of God. Made, designed to reflect God and his character and nature on the earth. Do you see, friends, that we're called to be his representatives, to fill the earth with his glory so that everyone can know how awesome God is? That's why you exist, friends. And he's made you in his image to represent him. But instead of representing God, we have all tried to glorify ourselves, haven't we? We all seek to glorify ourselves. I mean, good night. Even in this own sermon, I've had simple thoughts about me more worried about what you think of me than what you think about God, right? How sinful is that? How, how silly is that for, for us to be so concerned about what people think about us instead of what they think about God, who is the creator and the most beautiful that will ever exist? We're made in his image, but we're marred and we're broken. But Jesus Christ came to be the image of God that repairs the image of God in you. He is the image of the invisible God. But he never once sinned. He always lived in obedience to the Father's commands, always submitting his will to his Father. And if you believe in Jesus, if you really believe who he is, if you surrender your heart to him, and with his help, start to walk in his ways, letting him be in charge of you, then something amazing is going to happen in you throughout the rest of your life. He is going to make you, repair you, little by little, back into the image of God that you were designed to be. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 3.18? And we, with unveiled face, that's referring to Moses when he covered up his face coming off of Mount Sinai. We, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You, normal little you and me, by the power of Christ that lives in us, he's shaping you and crafting you to be a renewed image of God. Do you see, friends, how important this is that he is the image of God? You realize what's happening, what the opportunity is when the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and saying, take this step of faith. Obey me in this way. Repent of your sin. Don't look at this. Give your money for this. Turn away from this relationship that's not helpful to you, high school student. You recognize what God is doing in you in those moments? Jesus Christ 
by his spirit is making you be like his image, little by little. And every time you say yes, you get one degree closer. So many people have different beliefs about Jesus. I wonder, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Musicians, come on up. We're going to sing a song here at the end of the service, and then I'll close this in a scripture. Who do you say that he is? Maybe you've thought, well, I thought that Jesus is a great person. I thought that he's been powerful. I thought that he's been done miracles, but I've never seen him actually as God. Friends, it matters who you think Jesus is. Is it possible that the reason, go ahead and start playing whenever you're ready, brother. Is it possible that the reason that Jesus isn't enough for some of you because you don't realize who he is? Is it possible that the reason you don't see Jesus as the first thing you should turn to when you have problems, as as your only hope in life and death, and not just something that gets you out of hell, because you don't recognize that he is God in the flesh, and all of your fulfillment comes from knowing him and him alone? Or maybe you've been strayed a little bit lately and you've looked to all kinds of other things to give your life fulfillment outside of Jesus Christ. And you take a moment and recommit yourself to the Lord Jesus. And say, Lord Jesus, you are the king and I belong to you alone and I re-surrender my heart to you. Whatever God's doing in your heart, I pray that you be obedient. Let's stand together as we sing.